0: Sam, are you excited?
1: I'm so excited, and I'm in particular super excited for tea.
0: Welcome back, everybody. This week's bonus episode of the DCL Duo podcast, and we're recording on Mother's Day today, so... Let me start by welcoming the mother of our household, the best spouse that I know, the other half of the DCL duo, Sam. Happy Mother's Day, Sam. Thanks, Brian. All woman, right, a woman of few words today. Uh, <laughs> normally I have to edit her out of the show, but today she appears to be a little fewer words. She's trying to smack me right now. All right. Well, We are excited because we wanted to follow up on our show this past week around tips and tricks for international cruising with some of our favorites for London, because we'll be sailing out of London in September. Um, Well, not out of London, out of Dover in September. but. A lot of people like to spend some time pre-post-cruise in London. If you're not planning to do a Fabulous Adventures by Disney tour and you just want to go it on your own, we just wanted to provide some of our own recommendations for things to do, places to eat, that sort of stuff in and around London because we've been there a lot over the years. It's one of our favorite, favorite cities to visit. So not going to be diving into our experience with the Port of Dover because we haven't actually experienced the Port of Dover yet. We will do that in September and share our thoughts back also not going to be talking about cruise planning just yet because that's pretty far away. We we did do our pre-cruise booking requests that have now gone through the system for our Norwegian Fjords cruise and we'll talk about that, I think, closer in time. We are thinking more about our trip on The Wish here coming up in a couple of months, uh, actually less than a couple of months now, I think. So Sam, we'll, we'll skip airlines. I don't want to talk about hotels because I, I will just put a plug in. We do have a favorite hotel in London. The very first trip I really took to London, my boss at the time sent me over there, told me, that I had to take my wife with me. She had a fabulous hotel recommendation. So we always stay there when we go. London's filled to the gills with hotels. I guess we did stay at one place one time. Yeah, we stayed at a hotel near Piccadilly Circus, the name of which I don't remember because every time we've gone since, we've stayed at the St. Ermin's Hotel, which is near Westminster, near Buckingham Palace, near St. James Park, I believe, is the park that's close to it. But anyway, it's the St. Ermin's. We like it because it sits right on top of a subway station. And spoiler, the people from Seattle love it too because it has two Starbucks nearby. So we can get our coffee in the morning as we head to the Tube to go explore London. So we have our favorite hotel that we like to stay at in London. I know Adventures by Disney uses the Waldorf Hilton currently. Also a very nice hotel. Lots of really nice hotels to stay at in and around London. And also lots of, you know, there are budget friendly hotels. So we don't have a strong recommendation on hotel. We have one that we like and we go to consistently. I do think in terms of accommodation, it's worth looking at where your hotel is in relation to the tube stations because London is a fantastic city to get around by tube. We've also used the buses, fantastic city for public transportation, also pretty walkable in my opinion. I don't know, Sam, what do you think? Public transport versus walking?
1: So I'd say you actually need both. You need to put on some walking shoes and you also need to get comfortable taking the tube, which is London's subway system. Because there are London is a walkable city, but it's a very big city. And so if you're trying to get from one neighborhood to another um, outside of just the sort of very central London, you're going to need to take the tube or to take a taxi cab. I would say the tube is going to be oftentimes quicker and more efficient than taking a taxi. But taxis are, you know, of course, nice if if you have a longer if you have a longer walk or if you're tired.
0: Yeah. So make sure you check out the public transportation situation, but let's talk about things to do. Let's go off the list of, uh, you know, major sites first. And then Sam and I have a bunch of off the beaten path stuff because we've been there so often. We're not doing the same things over and over again. So in terms of things to do, I think one great thing to do is to get a sort of tour of the city, a general tour of the city to orient yourself and see some of the sites. There's lots of those double-decker bus tours in and around London that you can do, sort of the hop-on, hop-off tours. We have not done one of those ourselves, but we did do a private black cab tour on our first trip over to London, and I wanted to put a plug in for that. But Sam, what did you think about that experience of a private black cab tour?
1: I thought it was great because we got to go to really whatever sites we wanted to go to. I mean, our cab driver had sort of a plan but we could stay for as long as we liked at whichever places we wanted to stay. And we could just kind of uh, hop out and take a picture if we you know, didn't want to stay at a particular location. The other part, there were things that we just kind of drove by that we didn't even you know, get out to take a picture. Of. We just wanted to see. So I think it's a good way, any kind of tour of the city is a good way to kind of orient yourself figure out what you want to go back to in particular because there are some things that require, you know, reservations and things like that. But I thought our black cab tour was great.
0: Yeah. you know, And I'll say one more thing about transportation in light of that, which is just that uh, the London black cab drivers go through extensive testing. They have to be able to know how to get to basically any address in the city from memory. And so Uber and Lyft, I, th- I think Lyft, but definitely Uber at least used to operate in London and they don't have that requirement. And so if we are going to catch a cab of some sort in London, we are looking for a black cab because those drivers know where to go, know where to head. And I don't think the price is unreasonable. London does have some taxis for hire that you can call in advance that are not the traditional black cabs that you're allowed to hail from a street. Uh, those drivers are pretty good as well. Just make sure that you know the rate getting into the car before you go. The black cabs run on a meter system. And so um, I think it's a meter system. I don't think it's a zone system, but, but the pricing is fairly transparent on the black cabs. Whereas with some of the taxis for hire, it's more of a negotiated rate. They don't have a meter in the cab. So you want to make sure you know how much you're paying before you get in. But honestly, we rarely take the cabs. We, we have if it's raining and we want to get from point to point pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I would say late at night, a taxi or a black cab is a, is a great option because the tube, you know, it can get a little dodgy late at night.
0: All right, and we love the Black Cab Tour because the guy was super knowledgeable and we got to see tons of stuff and it was just the two of us. I think they were willing to do up to three or four for that tour and it was not crazy expensive. So if you're interested in one of those, I'd say either you know Google or head over to TripAdvisor. I use TripAdvisor a ton to find off the beaten path kind of tours and private tours. Uh, So I'd say head over there and check uh, check them out. Just search for private Black Cab Tour or Black Cab Tour and you'll find a, a ton of folks doing that. So I think that's a great option to get to know the city. I think another great option to get to know the city is something that I have started doing, which is running tours in cities that I visit. There was a vendor over there. It was called I Love London Running Tours. I looked recently and I'm not sure that her business really survived the pandemic, but there are a couple of other options in London. So if you're a runner uh, and you want to see London, I've done tours along the Thames, just running across the bridges and seeing sites where the, you know, the tour guide usually has a backpack and carries some water. And then you stop and while you're hydrating, they give you some history of the sites or some some information of the sites around you. And so just like a great way to like, I'd usually do them in the morning, get up, go do it. Uh, we'd run from one subway station essentially to another, and then I'd hop the tube back to our hotel and be done for the day. So that was kind of a fun way to see the city. Lots of walking tours, biking tours as well in London, if you want to see that kind of stuff. All right. Well, once you've gotten your bearings in the city, there are some major highlights that you have to see in London. I I just don't think you can skip them. One is Buckingham Palace and the Changing of the Guard. I will say if you're interested in seeing that, you should go online, you should check dates. It doesn't happen every day the same time. It doesn't even happen every day. By my memory, you have to go on and make sure that the Changing of the Guard is happening on the days that you want to go see it. So just go online. You can find a schedule. Walking tours and such will usually dovetail into it. You know, my only tip, Sam, for changing the guard is make sure that you get there a little bit ahead of time and you get up against the gate because we've been there more than once with people holding like iPads up trying to film the changing of the guard. So if you want to not be watching it on TV while you're standing outside of Buckingham Palace, I'd say get there early enough to miss that piece of the crowd. Sam, any tips around seeing changing of the guard?
1: Well, the one tip I would give about the changing of the guard is it's something you definitely want to see while you're in town. Um, another option, though, if you don't get to see the one at Buckingham Palace is to go see the changing of the guard at the Tower of London. They also do a changing of the guard there. Now it's smaller and there's not as much pomp and circumstance, but it is, you know, they do a, this ceremony and it happens, I think, daily there. So that's a good tip if you don't get to Buckingham Palace.
0: That's a good segue, because the Tower of London is another major site uh, that you probably should visit if it's your first time in London, home to the Crown Jewels and the Bee Feeders, uh, who will be changing the guard there, I believe, is the Bee Feeders. I have stumbled across more than once a really interesting tour online, which is kind of an early morning admission tour to the Tower of London, where you can see the the Keymaster is probably the wrong word. That's the Ghostbusters kind of infecting my memory. but. It's the it's the key bearer and he goes around and unlocks everything. And so you can get in early and kind of watch him do that and get some private time on the grounds of the Tower of London. That's a tour that's available. I've seen it online. I think ABD might even offer it uh, as a part of the package because they like to do those early entry things. Tower of London is a museum. You have to buy entry tickets, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, The Crown Jewels, if I also recall correctly, they kind of at some point put you on a moving walkway. (laughs) Just kind of glide past them. Uh, They don't really... It's not a room where you go in and you get to stand around and and oogle. You kind of move past them. Uh, Lots of history there for little kids, just be prepared. A lot of the history is a bit gory because it was the place where they conducted public executions <laughs> and it was a prison. And so just a little bit of gore there. Um, it's also kind of on the other side of town a little bit from Buckingham Palace. So there are some tours you can do along the Thames where you might start at the Tower of London or start at Buckingham Palace and then take um, a jet boat or a rib boat, I forget what they call it. Not a rib boat, but a, like a jet boat along the Thames and see some sights from point to point. And the Tower of London is one spot where you can pick up those boats to go along the Thames. They also have some boats that just move from point to point along the Thames if you want to go along the river and see sights. The only other tip I'll give around the Tower of London before I see what tip Sam has is I have visited London at different times of year and sometimes they do some special things at the Tower of London. So definitely check on what holidays and other events might be happening around your cruise. The one that I remember is Armistice Day, which is really popular in London. I don't say popular. It's, it's a big holiday in London. It's when they wear poppies on all of their lapels and they do a lot of stuff to remind the public about those lost in world war one to help the public not forget. And they've done some interesting things at the Tower of London. Like they had torches in the moat, uh, one each for a certain number of people who died in the war and they lit them all at night and it was gorgeous. Our Mrs. Day is in November. So you're in no danger of <laughs> seeing that on a Disney cruise because they'll already be back here in the US. But I'd say just check. They do some fun things and some interesting things at the Tower of London that are a little bit unique and special. So Sam, any tips on on Tower of London?
1: Just one, which is that the Tower Bridge is right next to it. So people sometimes call this London Bridge. It's not London Bridge. It is Tower Bridge, but it's right kind of next to, and it goes right across the Thames from right next to where the Tower of London is. So it's great to see that site. You're just going to take some pictures. It's not a museum, obviously. It's just a site to see. So it's a great opportunity to hit both of those at one time.
0: Yeah. They always like to tell the story of it was like an American city or a town that called them up and said they'd like to purchase the London Bridge. And they sort of said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. You can have that because it's basically a concrete span across the river and they could easily rebuild it. Um, What the city or town was actually looking for was Tower Bridge, which is an iconic landmark. What other big landmarks? Sam? I think one I want to talk about is the London Eye. Um, That is the... Super large Ferris wheel that it's actually has, it's not a, I mean, it is a Ferris wheel, but it has massive pods on it. They've replicated this kind of thing in a few different cities, but the London Eye I think is one of the largest. It's no longer the largest, I don't believe, but one of the largest. It takes about like 45 minutes, I think, for you to make a full revolution. It may be 35, but it is it is a slow revolution in a pod. You get a great view out on the city of London. You can buy tickets in advance. They do have some different tickets and experiences you can buy. You can buy tickets in advance to help you. I don't say skip the line because not all the tickets do that, but at least you have your tickets secured because it can sell out. They do have some unique experiences. I just noticed online that they've opened up like a pub pod experience that you can buy where they have six slots and they have somebody serving beer in there and you can kind of go in and have like a happy hour experience Was you rotate around the London Eye. We actually did one time as a special experience for an anniversary, I think it was, we did a private pod where they we got on and, and they had a, a docent come with us and she poured champagne and served us chocolates as Sam and I just kind of rotated around and got to see the site. So Really cool experience. If you're there, I definitely say go check that out. I think it's a lot of fun and a great way to get some really awesome views of the city because the London Eye is one of the largest structures in the city. Sam, what did you think of the London Eye?
1: I thought it was really cool because you get a nice view of the city and you know it's really close to the Westminster Bridge and right across on the other side of the Westminster Bridge is Big Ben. So Big Ben is that big... You know, clock right next to Westminster Palace and a big clock tower, I should say. And so, if you want to,
0: it's actually the Victoria Clock Tower, and Big Ben is the bell. I think no, Big Ben is the bell inside the clock tower, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: I don't remember. It's either the clock or the bell, but it's you're right. It's I know it's not the tower, but that's what everybody refers to as Big Ben. But you get a great view of Big Ben and a great view of the city of London in general. So I would say it's a it's a good option if you want something if you're not afraid of heights. And you want a, a beautiful view of London, get some good pictures.
0: Well, and uh, right after we get done with Big Ben, you know, hey, kids, Big Ben Parliament, Parliament and Westminster Abbey are right there because the Victoria Clock Tower is attached to uh, Parliament and Westminster Abbey is right next door to Parliament. I think Westminster Abbey is a historical spot to see, so it's a really interesting thing to go see, but I will actually put a plug in if they are running this tour cuz they don't run it all the time. It really depends on whether parliament is in session or not. They actually run an insiders tour of parliament, I think it was called, where you actually get to go through some of the parliament buildings. You get to see the house floor for them where they were yeah, House of Lords, House of Commons. You only get to go on the floor of one, but you get to go on the floor of the House of Commons which if you've ever watched, I think it's C-SPAN, it's, you know, I I used Used to see it all the time was Prime Minister's Questions. You get to go on the floor and see that. Learn some history about how Parliament operates in the UK. It is a universally great tour. We heard lots of recommendations from people to take it if we could while we were there. Might look into taking it again on our trip. I don't know. It's But it was a really fun tour and I highly, highly recommend it. See, so any of recommendations around Westminster Abbey and Houses of Parliament?
1: Just that I would second your recommendation for checking out the Houses of Parliament. I thought that was a great tour.
0: Yeah. And you can walk pretty easily from Parliament and Westminster Abbey over to Buckingham Palace through some of the nice parks in the city. So, you know, it, it is London is very walkable. If it is not raining outside, it is, it is really great. So... Also close by to Westminster Abbey and the Houses of Parliament is, of course, number 10 Downing Street, which is where the Prime Minister lives. Now, you can't like walk right up to the House post 9-11. They put a gate across the street, but can get a pretty good view. And you can kind of see the iconic blue door on the front of the home. Lots of government buildings in and around that area. Also, lots of pomp and circumstance for the royal family. The royal stables are at one end near Westminster Abbey in Parliament. And then you kind of walk up this tree-lined street to get to Buckingham Palace. So there's lots of sites to see in London. Again, a good reason to do kind of a tour to ground you in what is around you so you can figure out where you want to head. All right. So there are lots of museums in and around London. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I have not visited the British Museum, but Sam has. So Sam's going to talk a little bit about her experience with the British Museum. So let me hand it over to Sam to talk about the British Museum for a second.
1: Okay. So if you want to see where all the Egyptian artifacts and all the Greek artifacts are, and basically where most of the Parthenon is, then you want to go to the British Museum. It is one of those places where obviously the Brits, they pretty much colonized like everywhere in the entire world. And so a lot of really uh, important artifacts from other countries, like I said, Greece and Egypt being two ancient civilizations, that's where you want to go.
0: Uh, One museum I haven't visited, but I've heard a lot of good things about from a friend is the Victoria and Albert Museum. They have a lot of collection of things. And I'm recalling her mentioning that they have collections of like, if you want to see all of the royal snuff boxes, They have the, I think it's a Victorian Albert Museum, but look, there are tons of museums in and around London. We have not spent a lot of time looking at those simply because we're not a big museum family. We don't like to wander through museums. We prefer to wander on tours where we're seeing something historical, but not just like staring at it in a museum setting. One museum we did go to though, that we really liked also near Westminster Abbey in Parliament was the Churchill War Rooms. That was a really neat experience. So basically Churchill had a bunch of rooms that he occupied and or had built underneath London, underneath the, the war ministry buildings and some other buildings where he ran World War II and they were buried down there in order to protect them from the bombing of London, the repeated bombing of London, and they've been preserved. And so you can wander through and see these spaces where Churchill was running World War II. And it was, a, I thought, a really cool museum. I don't know what you thought, Sam.
1: Yeah, it was a really, uh, a really cool museum sight to see and you would hear how he was communicating with, you know, the other, the allies in Europe and how he was communicating with the president back in the, in the States. It was, yeah, I thought it was a great, great museum.
0: So that, that pretty much hit some of the highlights. I mean, there's a lot of other highlights. We're going to talk about Piccadilly Circus here in a second, but more from the standpoint of a place to go see. And then there's lots of shopping between Piccadilly Circus and uh, another end of London. You know, Trafalgar Square, also very historic. St. Paul's Cathedral, which is also something to see. As you're walking around London, they have plaques everywhere for historic buildings, places where famous authors, politicians, scientists, all these sorts of folks live. So one thing I recommend is just spend some time walking around London old London as well, central London, where the finance district is, is in and of itself historic because a lot of it has sort of been preserved. There's new buildings that have gone up, but this is the part of London, the actual city of London itself that is marked off from the larger area of London. So the London mayor who you might hear about in elections is responsible for the city of London itself. Uh, And that's also a really interesting area to just walk around. And we'll talk about that for a second, I guess, in some of these now. Let's switch gears to off the beaten path tours. So Sam and I, you Know, having seen a lot of the major sites, uh, you know, every time we go, I think we revisit kind of a major thing or a major site, but we love to do off the beaten stuff once we've gotten to know a city a little bit. And so one of the things that we did is, so we fly over from the West Coast and we want to hit the ground running and stay up all day once we arrive. Hopefully we've gotten a little bit of sleep on the plane, but we like to get adjusted quickly. So one thing I love to do is book tours at night in order to kind of keep us up a little bit and then... You know, get us set up for success on going to bed that night and and waking up at a normal time. And so nothing speaks London at night like a Jack the Ripper tour. And so we have done a Jack the Ripper tour. We're probably going to do another one here when we fly over in September. There was a tour group that's really popular. If you look for Jack the Ripper tour online, there's a group that does... It's like a Jack the Ripper tour with Ripper Vision is what they call it. And what that really means is you kind of wander around the streets of the old city of London, pretty near Brick Lane, uh, essentially. It's,
1: the neighborhood is called White Church, I believe. White Chapel. <laughs> White Chapel.
0: Yeah, it's near, it's in White Chapel, which, which is near Brick Lane as well, which is... Uh, we'll talk about food here in a minute, but Brick Lane's really famous for its Indian restaurants along Brick Lane. Uh, but you you tour through White Chapel to the sites where they found bodies. You hear the mythology around who Jack the Ripper might have been because because... because they still have not figured that out to this day. And the Ripper Vision aspect of it is they have a little pocket Pico projector, I think they call it, where they still stop and they'll project up onto the wall images, videos, and things like that. So you can kind of get a sense of what London would have looked like at the time and more information, that sort of thing. So universally, I think that company is really, you know, one of the better ones to do, but we're going to try out a different company this time just because of how the timing works. And I think they do a little bit more than just Jack the Ripper. Sam, what did you think about the Jack the Ripper tour and maybe you can comment on would you take kids on it and what age would you want them to be before you did
1: okay so i probably would say well i really liked the jack the repertoire and i would probably say yes to taking kids on it but not young kids i would say probably 10 or older i wouldn't go for I wouldn't take Nathan right now but I would probably take him in a couple of years
0: I don't know it gets pretty gory I'd be a little worried like it they they do provide some detail around what Jack the Ripper was doing <laughs> to these people so I'd say be careful do your research make sure that uh, you're comfortable with taking your kiddos on that and I do agree age will be a age will be a factor there also off the beaten path is of course Harry Potter and so I'm gonna let Sam talk all about the Harry Potter tour that we did and perhaps a little bit about the Harry Potter tour we're going to be doing.
1: Okay, so when we're talking London, we're definitely thinking of Harry Potter, right? There is an unofficial, or there are several, I should say, unofficial Harry Potter tours in London. So the reason I say unofficial for tours is because if you Google Harry Potter Tour London, you're probably going to come up with a result on the Warner Brothers studio tour that's about an hour outside of London. On that studio tour, we have not yet done. We are actually doing it following our upcoming cruise out of Dover. And there's actually a great arrangement where it includes transportation from the port of Dover to the Warner Brothers Studio tour. You do the tour for, I don't know, three or four hours, and then they drive you either to Heathrow to catch your flight home or to central London. So that's a great package and something that we're going to be doing. But the tour that I'm talking about that we have already done was an unofficial Harry Potter tour of London. And what I mean by unofficial is it's not sanctioned by J.K. Rowling or anybody who owns Harry Potter. And they take you to places around London that inspired J.K. Rowling. So they take you to Borough Market. And I think there was another market as well that sort of inspired some of the things that are in the books and in the movies, uh, some of the markets. You get to go to King's Cross Station, where there is actually a mock-up of a platform nine and three quarters with a trolley like Harry Potter is pushing so you can take your picture there. They take you to a street that inspired JK Rowling in creating Diagon Alley. So there's a bunch of sites that were a part of the inspiration for the city of London as you see it in Harry Potter. And it's just really fun. And, and the tour guide that we had was fantastic. And even gave us sort of a test to figure out what house we would be a part of. Uh, Spoiler alert, Ryan and I were both Gryffindors.
0: I will say, take this with a grain of salt. They don't know for sure that whatever we're looking at actually inspired J.K. Rowling. But, you know, it's still a fun tour nonetheless. It was fun to get to... Parts of the city you would probably never see. I think we discovered an interesting bookstore by doing the tour that we went back to later just to wander through the bookstore. So they're not going to take you to like big central places. Borough Market is a big central place. Although I don't know that a lot of people know about it or go there necessarily their first time in London. So kind of a fun spot to go. Also off the beaten path for us has been visiting some of London's markets. So there's, I think, Four major markets that when they talk about markets, there's Borough Market, which is really kind of known for its food. There's the Portobello Road Market, which is in Notting Hill, which is, I would say, more of uh, oddities and curios from, you know, almost like a 60s, 70s kind of standpoint.
1: Yeah, you can get antiques and stuff there. It's definitely like, I would say it's like quite thrift shop like.
0: Yeah, we have a favorite shop over there actually called Stumper and Fielding that carries some just like coats. Sam got a raincoat there, like a traditional trench coat from London there. We, we love that store. It's small and has a lot of... I'd say more traditional London tweed and things like that. So it's a fun place to go look at even the stores that are just off the market, because what happens is the market stalls are in the street, and then there are stores behind them that you can still visit. There's also the Brick Lane Market, which we'll talk about Brick Lane again for food. Uh, but there's the Brick Lane Market, which again is also... If, if you're familiar with the term flea market, it's kind of like that. It's people selling their wares in stalls, so, you know, interesting market to go see, a fun market to see. And then there's two other markets that Sam wants to talk about.
1: Yeah. So the two other famous markets, I would say, are Camden Market and Old Spitalfields Market. And these two are, I would say, unique clothing, jewelry, kind of funky stuff. You might find some vintage stuff, but you might also find some contemporary stuff. You might also find some crafts as well, particularly at the Old Spitalfields Market. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, we're taking a quick pause here and excited to welcome a new show sponsor to our show who's going to be sponsoring our bonus episodes, at least for the next couple of months, and that is Blisslets. And so if you've not heard of Blisslets before, First, you're probably going to be seeing them on board the Disney ships here pretty soon and being sold in the Disney stores. They are a fabulous alternative to C-bands. So Sam got a chance to check them out on our last cruise. They were kind enough to send her a couple of pairs to try out. Sam suffers from some seasickness and motion sickness at times and has used C-bands in the past to try and alleviate that. And so she decided to give these blisslets a try. The two things Sam loved most about her blisslets were, one, they're a much more stylish alternative to the traditional C-bands, but two, they also were better constructed, Uh, she said that she felt like they would hold up a lot better to the wear and tear on board than uh, the C-Bands would. So she really liked them. They had a lot of great styles, even have some in leather. Uh, And so really, really nice product that she enjoyed. And she can't wait to try them out again on our cruise coming up here soon. So if you are a traditional C-Bands user, but you're looking for something that's just maybe a little bit nicer to wear on board the ship, then head over to Blisslets.com and check them out. We highly recommend them. And Sam has really enjoyed the product so far. So head over there, check them out. And thanks to Blisslets for sponsoring this bonus a show. Yeah, so the markets are a lot of fun. I, I can't put in enough of a plug for the Borough Market because it's got a lot of really cool food stalls and some traditional London street food. I'm trying to remember the name of some of it, but you know they'll have like the meat pies, the pasties. Yeah, they'll have the the sausage that's cooked into a roll, basically. But lots of traditional London street food, and then also just lots of just good street food over there. So if you're looking for something to go taste some of the flavors of you know more traditional London, I think that that's kind of a fun spot to just go wander around and get some food. So for some more traditional shopping in London, if you you head toward Piccadilly Circus, one, you'll find lots of the budget end curio stores that are selling the t-shirts and the model London bridges and you know stuff like that, or sorry, tower bridges, <laughs> models of the Victoria Tower and Big Ben, uh, all that kind of stuff. That That's Piccadilly Circus. They got tons of that stuff. But if you walk up Regent Street from Piccadilly Circus, you're going to find a lot of just interesting stores and shops and just two things to plug here. One is London has a lot of shopping, what they call arcades. And so you will look to your right through an arch on the street down the long arch, and there will be lots of little stores on the left and right hand sides as you walk down this kind of long arched hallway, I'll call it. So they'll say arcade on the outside. If you make a right in there and walk down the hall, there's lots of stores and shops that are going to be selling, you know, shoes, perfumes. All kinds of stuff like that. Just interesting to wander through those arcades on occasion because you're never sure what you might find. London is also a city of department stores. And there are some big ones. Uh, The one that most people have heard of is Harrods of London, which is actually a department store. It's a very ornate department store. They carry a lot of high-end stuff. Harrods is not actually, I don't believe, squarely off of Regent Street or it's much further along. But Harrods is a really famous department store. And so if you want to head over and... And just see the crazy world of a a high-end London department store. Harrods is where you should go. And I mean, they've got Bugattis and Lamborghinis parked out front. So like this is the high-end area. It's a fun place to kind of wander through as a tourist. Uh, The other one you may have heard of is...
1: Selfridges.
0: That's right. If you ever watch Mr. Selfridge, Selfridges still exists. I think it is off of Regent Street, as I recall. Also a big department store, probably more typical of what a high-end department store here in the United States would look like in terms of the departments and things that they have. Sam's looking at me because she wants to say something and I know what she's going to talk about. You're going to talk about food halls, I think?
1: That's exactly right. The difference I'd say about department stores in London versus in the United States is the ones in London seem to have an entire hall on the bottom floor that is all food stalls. And we're talking like fresh foods, like pastries and cookies and sandwiches and just all kinds of goodies. So you can eat your way through a department store before you even get to any of the clothes shopping.
0: Yeah. And those food halls, depending on how the high end, the department store is, will carry different kinds of things. So like Harrods is going to have displays of caviar, like massive amounts of caviar or a cold case full of a mound of caviar that you can have them, I guess, scoop up and put into some sort of tub or container for you to take home. Selfridges had a Krispy Kreme donut, I believe, inside, but they were doing like one of the most expensive, like they had like a gold leaf donut that you could buy, something like that. So anyway, I would just say wandering in and out of stores are really great, but let's hit our favorite department. Department store of all in London, which is Fortnum and Mason.
1: And it's, it's, a very different style of department store because there's not really any clothing in this department store. There, there there are very small, there's a very there are very small areas that have clothing. They do have shoes and, and some other things, but it more has like household stuff, but it's really famous for its tea and tea sets. They actually make all of the teas for the royal family and for all the royal celebrations, as well as all of the the dishware. So if you want like to look at fine china, you want to go to Fortnum and Mason. And if you also want all kinds of like, I would say like hard candies and things like that, that London is famous for, they also have that in the tea area.
0: And delicious jellies and jams. Fortnum & Mason is known for having some really great jams and jellies and preserves that you can bring home there. I think they're a great, great, great souvenir to bring home. So lemon curd, strawberry champagne. I mean, any fruit you can think of, they have jellied or preserved and you can buy there and it's its all great. And the reason they do this, Sam mentioned they hold the Royal Warrant for tea. So if you hear that terminology, the Royal Warrant is basically the stamp of approval from the Royal family to be their purveyor uh, for certain goods and services to the Royal family, which, of which Fortnum & Mason is for tea. Fortnum & Mason has a fabulous Diamond Jubilee tea room on one of its upper floors. And it is a great spot for the thing you must do while you're in London, which is afternoon tea. There are very different kinds of afternoon tea that you can have in London. Everything from just a cup of tea and a scone or a cuppa, as they like to say it, a cup of tea and a scone, all the way up to sort of the regular afternoon tea, which is usually tea sandwiches, scones, cakes, and tea, to high tea, which is all of that with usually champagne or some other sort of high-end alcoholic beverage. So let's talk a few places we like to do tea, and then we will get into some of the places we like to do dinner. But let's talk about tea. Fortnum & Mason has a great one. Usually you're paying per person a set amount, and that's because, little known fact, we didn't know it the first time we took tea, but little known fact, if you want more of something, they'll just bring you another plateful. So, And not not maybe not everywhere, but at Fortnum and & Mason and a few of these other spots. They bring you a three-tiered stand and the bottom piece usually has the sandwiches, little cut up sandwiches. You know, think of finger sandwiches like cucumber sandwiches, salmon, things like that, egg salad. One of our favorites at Fortnum and Mason is something called Coronation Chicken, which they're famous for. It's a curried chicken salad. Usually the plate above then holds the scones and sometimes scones are just plain or they may have some sort of filling like dates or raisins or something like that. And then the top layer is usually little desserts or petty fours or things like that. And then it's usually accompanied by traditional clotted cream and preserves. And so if you're eating the sandwiches and you're like, well, I'm still hungry. I want more sandwiches. You can just ask them and they'll bring you another plate of sandwiches. We've even said, we just want a plate of coordination chicken sandwiches and they'll bring those back. Same if you want more scones, if you want more dessert. I would say do take it easy because <laughs> these things can fill up pretty quickly. You can also get a really great uh, tea. They usually have a big tea selection at Fortnum & Mason. Uh, So Fort Mason is one of our favorite spots to get tea. We've already reserved two teas there for our upcoming trip.
1: Yeah, I wanted to give a pro tip, and this is actually for all tea service, which is that a lot of places where you can get high tea, you can book it for around lunchtime. So some tea places will only do their high tea service from like 2.30 to 4.30, but others... We'll have it available as early as 11 a.m. Oftentimes on the weekends, it's available earlier than during the week. And during the week, it's more likely to only be available later in the afternoon. But I highly recommend Skip Lunch and have tea instead because it is a not just a lunch, but a really filling meal. So I don't see a reason to get lunch in London if we're going to have tea because we've got to have dinner later on.
0: Yeah, tea's a great, so like our first day in London, we'll usually schedule a tea for around lunchtime uh, because it's just a great activity to sit and relax and enjoy tea. Another pro tip that I would have is if you're looking at some of these places, go online and see if they take reservations. In general, a lot of restaurants in and around London and in Europe in our experience take reservations. Uh, and so, even a place that you might consider to be here, just a regular neighborhood restaurant, will have a reservation policy. And so, they don't always fill up, and they do take walk-ins. But you know, if you know you want to go someplace, I would say see if they have a reservation online and grab the reservation if you can. Fortnum and Mason sits, I think, at the kind of upper end of the tea service. It's still casual. I want to be clear, not having to get dressed up to go to Fortnum and Mason. You can usually go in what you're wandering around in. I'd say plan to go in something more than maybe a t-shirt and shorts uh, if if you can. But we've gone in jeans and pullover. Or pants and that sort of stuff. So it's it's not it's not super high-end tea. Super high-end tea is a place that we did go, which is Claridges of London, which does book up very far in advance. It's a smaller tea room. It's considered one of the best teas in London. Very, very high-end, very expensive. I wouldn't personally say that Claridge's for us was worth the price. We thought Fortnum's was just as good and I think in a way more enjoyable because it was a little bit more relaxed. Also high end with a view that we have not experienced, but that I have come across many times is that the Shangri-La tea room does a little bit of a alternative tea. And there's lots of these spots around London that have taken kind of the traditional tea time and made it alternative. So in the Shard, which is a very tall building on the opposite side of the Thames from Westminster up the river, basically, has a really great views of London, much like the London Eye. And there are two restaurants in there. They both do tea service. They are much higher end. One of them is kind of more alternative and I think has more of kind of like an Asian flair to the tea. So you can look there. I think think that's the Shangri-La Tea Room. It gets really good ratings, but it is expensive. You are going to want to make reservations in advance. There are lots of little shops in and around London where we've taken tea, where a reservation may still be advisable. One of them that I thought was really kind of fun was on our first trip, we went to a place called Soho Secret Tea Room. I can't vouch for whether or not it survived the pandemic or it's still there, but it was on the second floor above a pub, basically. And they call it the secret tea room because when you walk in, you have to go to the pub bar and tell them that you're there for tea. And then they lift up the plank of wood you know, crossing the bar and let you walk up a staircase behind the bar to get to the tea room. That place was interesting because it was like when they set the tea down, it was like full sandwiches, huge pieces of cake. That might be the other pro tip. Is it like Fortnum's? They'll always give you cake at the end, but you can take it to go, which we usually do. But this place had just massive stuff. Now, that place, I would say, was not a, hey, can I have more of this kind of place? It was a set of amount and then they were giving you what they were giving you. But it was a lot of fun. It was an alternative spot to grab tea.
1: All of the famous boutique hotels, like the Savoy, like Claridge's, the I think it's the Langborough, there's a ton of them that have really nice uh, tea services. They're they're going to tend to be the higher end. A lot of the tea service, they'll offer you a glass of champagne with it. That's obviously an upcharge, but it's it's very, very common. Those ones tend to be, as Brian said, a little bit fancier than the T service at Fortnum & Mason. That It's still all of them. They really say smart casual, but I'd say uh, on the slight high end of smart casual.
0: I mean, the other one that's famous is the Ritz in London. We'll definitely have a have an afternoon tea. There are You can go online and look for like top 10 London teas. Several of the ones we've mentioned will be on there. But let's shift gears and let's talk about spots for dinner. Let's go high end to affordable, I suppose. Or maybe let's go affordable to high end this time. So from the affordable to high end side of things, London is a great spot to get Indian food. If you like Indian food, it has a large population of Indian folks who have immigrated there. It is famous for having invented the dish, chicken tiki masala, which you will not, well, would not find in India. Traditionally, you may find it today. It, so it is really a London conceived dish. So if you like Indian food, a couple of recommendations. One is head over to Brick Lane. We've mentioned this before. Literally, it is just a street filled with curry shops. Uh, and you will hear the Londoners talk about after a good night out at the pub, they love to go get a good curry. And this is the spot where they go. If you're there with a group of people, there's usually a guy standing out front of the store and he is there, my friends, to negotiate. <laughs> so if you want to eat like the locals do, don't walk up to the menu and then walk in and get seated. Don't make a reservation on brick lane in my opinion wander around look for a spot that's good i'd say look for a spot that looks like it has a little bit of busyness to it because that means that the you know people like it (laughs) and then you can usually negotiate with the guy out front to get kind of a what's the one price per person that's going to get me starters a beer a main course naan, and rice and like make sure you hit everything that you want in there because whatever you miss they're going to charge you for and they'll probably charge you more than what you think they should be so don't miss the like if you want bread get you know this price is going to cover the naan, right? And the rice and the starter and the main. So you can negotiate with them. We actually, so we've been to Brook Lane a few times. We've had some hit and miss meals over there. I don't like the haggling aspect of Brooklyn. You don't have to haggle, but. It's usually a good idea too especially with your if you're with a group. If it's just two of you or one of you, don't expect to get, you know, to haggle. They're just you're going to pay whatever they they charge you on the menu. But one place that we love to go is called The Punjab. <laughs> and I found The Punjab because it is actually a favorite of Prince Charles. It is a long established uh Indian food restaurant. It is actually across the street from the theater that was running Harry Potter. I don't know if it's still running there. They have a fabulous chicken tikka masala, butter chicken, that kind of stuff. Very affordable, always busy. I do make reservations there because I want to know that we can get in and I have to wait for an hour outside, but we've had a lot of fabulous meals there. It's, It's really great. So we love that restaurant. If you're an Indian food lover, I guess moving up to a little slightly higher end Indian, we've heard a lot of good things about Dishoom, which has several locations in and around London. People rave about it. It will be a reservation kind of spot. And like I said, they have several locations. So you're going to want to go online and figure out which location you want to get a reservation at. They're all themed a little bit differently. Um, it's not as traditional Indian food as you might expect to find at a place like the Punjab or over on Brick Lane, but it's it's supposed to be really, really, really good. We have not tried it ourselves because we keep going back to the, the Punjab, but maybe this time we'll, We'll make our way in there.
1: Yeah. The next tip I want to give you for cheap eats is Chinatown. Now, Brian and I have not done a ton uh, together in Chinatown in London, but my mom and I did a ton of visiting Chinatown when we were there uh, many years ago. And if you're not a big Indian food person, the other, I would say, the other cuisine that is really good and cheap in London, uh, and you can find a ton of different restaurants is Chinese food. All right. So we go with the
0: ethnic foods first. I thought for sure Sam was going to hit right home into pubs. If you're looking for affordable food, There's no place better than the local pub, and there will be local pubs all over the place. Now, pubs are going to serve pub-style fare, which can sometimes be things like pasties or meat pies, fish and chips, that kind of stuff. You know, If you haven't had fish and chips in the UK before, it can be a little bit different than the fish and chips you're used to here in the US. It is battered fish and chips, usually much bigger pieces of fish, usually accompanied by something called mushy peas, which is what it sounds like, mushed up peas. And chips are, just to clarify, hot potato chips, they are french fries. That's what they call them in the UK is chips. So fish and chips is a very traditional pub meal. Usually pub fare is very affordable. If you're looking for you know a quick meal, a quick bite on the cheap, pubs are a great place to go, get a beer, grab a meal. You can also wander outside with your drink. If it's warm out and you want to stand around you know near the pub, I'm not saying wander around the streets with your beer. Lots of people will stand outside and drink their beer and pubs have little spots where you can, can do that. As I mentioned, the Punjab, for instance, I think there's a pub near the Punjab where you can just kind of stand outside and drink your beer while you're waiting for your table to get called. Speaking of fish and chips, there's lots of like fish and chip shops over in London that just sell fish and chips. So if you're interested in grabbing fish and chips, I'd say go online, just search for a spot that has some decent recommendations and head there. Eat at a few ourselves. They all tend to be pretty good. Um, There's some that are like chain restaurants almost, you know, like the equivalent of like Chick-fil-A here would be this, you know, fish and chips place over there. Fish and chips is a great thing to grab in London. All right. Speaking of pubs, I wanted to put in a plug for a particular pub that we like to visit. It is really far off the beaten path in London. So you've got to take the tube to like an above ground train and then you got to walk a little bit to get there. And it is in just a neighborhood of London, Uh, but it sits right on the Thames. It's called the Mayflower Pub and it is called the Mayflower Pub because I believe it's the spot that the Mayflower left from before it went to the United States. And so... There's something associated with the Mayflower. You have to go online and look it up. I think I've got the story right there.
1: Yep. It was moored there.
0: So great spot to go. It is a locals kind of pub. They run trivia night. So you got to be careful if you want to go there like a Tuesday, it'll be filled with people doing trivia. They have a little upstairs restaurant that serves some really fun food. Uh, and I got to put in a plug as we're talking about these pubs and other spots is that on Sunday evenings, Sunday roast is a really popular meal in London. And there are lots of pubs and other kinds of spots like that that do Sunday traditional Sunday roast. It's usually roast beef. Roast lamb. They'll have a chicken, uh, that sort of thing. And then it's usually accompanied by what's the name of the bread?
1: Yorkshire pudding. It will come with it. Yorkshire pudding, which is like a call it like a bread muffin type thing. It's a shape of a muffin, but it's more of a bread. And then usually vegetables like potatoes, carrots, that sort of thing.
0: Let's ladder up, Sam. We've talked about kind of the uh the affordable end of the spectrum in London. Let's move into the I don't know if we have a middle. I'm just going to be perfect honest. I don't know that we have a middle band, but but we're going to head up to finer dining in London or the nicer dining in London. I'll start at the lower end of that, which is Social Eating House. Uh, Social Eating House is actually, there's a couple, It's not they're all called Social Eating House, but the chef who opened Social Eating House has a couple, couple different spots in London. Uh, and I thought that was just a fun meal. You want to talk about Social Eating House, Sam?
1: Yeah, so this is typically your multi-course dinner meal. So you're talking appetizer, main, and probably dessert. You might even do a fixed price meal if you want to do like a chef's menu at one at one of these locations. I would say they're probably not um, family friendly restaurants. They're probably more adult restaurants, but they're not the you know super fancy, meaning you can be completely dressed casual for uh, these restaurants, but really, really tasty food. Kind of what you would see in any major city in the United States, um, sort of a higher end restaurant.
0: Yeah. And then the two really kind of higher end restaurants that we've eaten at in London, we always like to go out to one really nice meal when we're visiting London. The first one I'll talk about is called Sketch and it's literally spelled S-K-E-T-C-H. If you go online, their website is very artistic because Sketch is themed around being very artsy. And so the dining rooms are very artistic, colorful. It was a very interesting meal. Lots of elements of presentation with like smoke and cold and things like that. So it is very fine dining, I would say is like, you know, eating at a Remy. Sketch was a fun spot. They have three different rooms. They do a tea. They have a tea room specifically where they'll do a tea. So if you're interested in checking out Sketch just for tea, they do that. And they have a library room and they have one other room. uh, And they do have different menus as between the two. One of them has a chef's tasting menu. And I think the other one does something more a la carte. But it's it's really good food and it's a lot of fun to see. Uh, an experience, so I liked Sketch. At the highest end, uh, however, is over at the Mandarin Oriental, a chef by the name of Heston Blumenthal has one of his three Michelin-starred restaurants, and it is called Dinner. Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. We have eaten there several times. What's interesting is, I would say that it's the food quality is on par with Remy, but the dining room and atmosphere of the restaurant are much more relaxed. And so, uh, I would say for Sketch, we felt like we wanted to be dressed up, coat and tie, whereas for Dinner by Heston Blumenthal, the Mandarin Oriental crowd tended to be a little bit more of the high-end casual. So you, you not be out of place in like designer jeans and a sweater or something like that in dinner by Hessen Blumenthal. Service is outstanding. It's one of our favorite spots. I think we've been there twice now. And I actually have a call in to get us a reservation on our next trip. The concept behind the restaurant is that he was taking more traditional English fare and making it high-end. And so like one of its famous dishes is called Meat Fruit. Uh, and they bring out something that looks I mean, exactly like a mandarin orange. If you did not know it was a mandarin orange, you'd be sorely surprised as it squished in your hand and out came beef pate. So you cut into it and it's beef pate encased in this orange gelatin with an orange flavor. It even has a little leaf coming up off of the orange so that you know it looks like an orange and there's some toasted bread. It's presentation, really interesting. The food is always really good. At the end of dinner, they usually come by with an ice cream cart where they are making ice cream with liquid nitrogen right at your table. So we love it. As in most of Europe, there's no tipping. In London. So it always feels more reasonable to me, like the pricing in London for some reason, even though the exchange rate is crazy than having fine dining here in the US. I I don't know. I always feel like I'm leaving with a bill that's less than what I might've paid at a comparable restaurant here in the US. So love that restaurant. It's a great one if you're into fine dining. There's lots... I just want to be clear. There's lots of great places to eat at London. We haven't even scratched the surface in terms of... London is a major metropolitan city, if you're interested in finding a great spot to eat, highly encourage just going out, searching online, asking your cruise group. There's lists online of top 10 new places that have opened in London. I guess one other category of restaurant I wanted to hit real quickly is that London has become so famous for the speakeasy movement again, craft cocktails and that sort of thing that cropped up here in the US. We actually went to one called Nightjar when we were over there one time and it was like literally there was a door on the street with a bouncer and it had a little symbol on it, no address, no (laughs) name or anything. And you walked up and you gave them like the password for the day and they would call down to make sure your reservation was valid. And then you would walk basically into the basement and you get a table for 90 minutes. It was yours and you could have your drinks and then they were kicking you out for the next group of people. So again, you can go online and search for speakeasies. There's like top 10 lists, top 20 lists out there. So this is a real thing in London, these speakeasies. So another good thing to go experience if you want kind of that after dinner drink or something kind of fun and interesting to do. So Sam, what have I missed?
1: I can't think of anything you've missed, but I was just thinking I really want to go back to Nightjar and maybe find another speakeasy or two. So we'll have to do some research probably on TripAdvisor ourselves.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I think we've given you a ton of information. I may try to link to some of this in our show notes so you can go back and find it. So look for some links perhaps in our show notes to some of the stuff that we've talked about so you can find it more easily. With that, I I don't know if you can tell, we're excited to get back to London. I mean, it is May. Our cruise is in September. I'm already eyeing like where can we book and all that sort of stuff. So I'm super excited to get back to London. Sam, are you excited?
1: I'm so excited. And I'm in particular, super excited for tea, tea sandwiches, really the coronation chicken sandwiches and the salmon sandwiches at Fortnum and Mason and all of that English tea. All right. Well, thanks everybody for
0: listening. If you've got your own suggestions out there write in, let us know. We want to hear what you love in London and we will try to find a way to share that out with everyone else as well. Uh, and if you use any of these suggestions and you like them, let us know. We will also be hitting up some of our suggestions again when we're over there in London. So we will be able to re-review them in our trip report and let you know how things are with the, these places places that we've been to, we're going to try a few new places too. So, with that, thanks everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. Well, thanks as always for listening to our bonus episode this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have uh, suggestions for bonus content that we could put out, hey, let us know questions, people you'd like us to talk to that sort of thing. We're always open to show suggestions. So just let us know. So with that, just thanks to everyone out there for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. so You can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also be sure to head over to Apple podcasts. leave us those five star reviews. We love reading the reviews from our listeners and connecting with you in that way. And we love reading them on the main show each week. So head over, leave us those five star reviews. We've got a few left to read, but we'll run out quickly. So don't miss your chance. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo vlog and podcast Facebook group if you'd like to join a conversation with some like-minded DCL Duo fans and cruisers like yourself. If you'd like even more great content from the DCL Duo, you can browse over to youtube.com slash dclduo to see some of the videos we put up from our vacations. And if you'd like to help support the show, you can always browse to patreon.com slash dclduo and choose from one of our monthly support tiers. We really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there for helping to defray the cost of this show each and every month can also support the show by browsing to touringplans.com travel to book your next fabulous Disney vacation just let them know the DCL duo sent you the DCL duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line the Disney company or the Disney family of theme parks the views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney company or Disney Cruise Line if you have questions about a Disney cruise or Disney vacation please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night.